Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. We're beginning a new series and it's titled The Story of Heaven. Now, that seems like such a little, you know, oh, the story of heaven, that's cute, that's nice. Yeah, it does. It it does kind of seem like, because we really don't spend a lot of time, you know, as believers, or at least I don't think we do, really talking that much about heaven. I mean, we're happy we know that we escape hell and we're all going to heaven. We get that. You know, and in Sunday school class and other classes, you know, they tell you wonderful things about heaven. You know, the streets are paved with gold. And of course, I always loved all the, you know, jewels that are all over heaven. Since I like jewelry, I'm like, oh boy, am I going to have a good time with looking at all of that? You know, but there's a lot more to that, that we as believers need to kind of think about, not just think about, oh, we get to go to heaven and, and, and that's it. And I think um, one of the things that I have found is that as Christians, we sometimes learn a lot of things regarding the aspects of our inheritance. We do, but we kind of take it at face value, just like heaven. We really are taking it pretty much at face value. We don't always delve deeper or think too much about it. You know, it's just like part of our benefits package. We know that we're excited and we appreciate our salvation, which is a good thing. Um, And we enjoy the benefits that come with our salvation package. And then really, we just go on and continue to live our lives. And that's pretty much it. It's not where we really sit down and have a whole lot of conversation about some of the things involved in our inheritance. And I've been in a very unique situation while I was away because I've had like two different, how can I put it? Okay, I'll put it this way. I've had the opportunity to see my granddaughter born. Okay, now that has me over the moon. I will always smile about that. That is like the greatest thing. It's just precious for anyone who has that opportunity. And I've had the chance to sit and talk to her as an infant about heaven and about Jesus and about being able to accept him at a young age and fulfilling the purpose that he's called her here in the earth realm. That's a very precious, intimate, wonderful time. Now, in juxtaposition to that, I've had the opportunity to spend quite a bit of time with my mother-in-law, who's 93 years old. And we've had a lot of time to talk about heaven and all of the different things that she's enjoyed as part of her salvation, because she was saved at a very young age. And she's 93. So there's so much that I could learn even still from her. So many things that she had to share. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, you have an infant on one hand where there's so much you need to impart into her life. And then you have a 93-year-old woman of God and there's so much that you can learn from her. And I sat there and I'm like, I am so blessed because I'm seeing two sides of the spectrum if you will. And a lot of times we get so busy and I'm not for, I'm, I can raise my hand, I, I'm, I can do that too, where you get so busy that you don't always take the time to just stop 
and really think about things and really think about things that belong to you and are a part of your inheritance. And the good news is we can always look to the word. We can always see an example of how we are supposed to think about different things. And when we go through this particular series, we're going to do just that. So that's why I think we're going to have a lot of fun with it and we're going to enjoy it. And of course, like with anything else, I like to push the envelope. That's kind of like what I do. So that's why we're truly going to explore the story of heaven. And throughout the series, we're going to view three different little short videos. They're only 15 minutes apiece, so they're not long. And both of them are actually from two of our brothers in Christ. Both of these brothers are ministers of the gospel, and they actually both reside in San Antonio, Texas. It just happens to be that. And you probably are familiar with one, if not both of them. Okay, the first one is Max Lucado. And many of you probably already know him. He's got 100 million readers who have been blessed by his books. And as a matter of fact, we even have um, his books and workbooks in our bookstore here. So if you're not familiar with him, stop by and get them. He's definitely a blessing. The other brother is Randy Frizee. And he's known for his most infamous book. He has a lot of them, but the one that kind of took him off the page was The Heart of the Story. So that's another really good book for you to read if you're interested. You know, you guys are going on the cruise, you don't have reading material, hey, it's, it's not a bad thing. Now this series, we're going to break it up into three sections. So if you want to jot this down, you can. It doesn't matter because we'll be going over it again. The first section is going to be the exit strategy. Because again, we get so busy living our lives, we don't really think about having an exit strategy. We're just so busy, you know, doing what we do. Sometimes I don't even think we think that there may be an exit strategy. But guess what? From looking at my granddaughter, who's going to be eight weeks old tomorrow, <laughs> okay, her exit strategy already began the second that she was born. It's a matter of training her to understand that. And it's something that we as believers, again, we just don't really spend time talking about it. So we're going to do that. The next section is going to be titled Heavenly Graduation. Because when we transition from this earth realm, as we already know, it doesn't end for us. But we need to find out, well, exactly kind of like what does happen or what should we be looking toward. And then the last um, section is going to be titled The End of Time. And we're going to explore this study. And when we do so, I believe it's really going to open our eyes to what is beyond the glorious finale of God's masterful plan of life here on earth. And we're going to discover the heart of God's story. And what's even more important is the great joy that occurs when we align our story with God's plan. So I think this is going to be a lot of fun. So now, as with any study, we have to start it by building a solid foundation. And where do we start with that? Of course, with the word. So I want you to know, though, that we're not going to just sit here and it's just going to be a lot of word and you're just going to listen to me read and that's going to be it. You are going to get to participate. As a matter of fact, there's going to be a lot of participation moving forward in this series because I really want us to sit and discuss this and really delve into the topic. Is that fair enough? Okay, great. So with that, do me a favor and turn to John's Gospel, the 11th chapter. 
and we're going to look at verses 1 through 44. John's Gospel, the 11th chapter, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 44. Now, I'm going to share it with you out of the Amplified because I just think this is about the best translation for it. You're very familiar with this story, I'm sure. You might have even heard this in Sunday School, but I know you've heard it here. And that is the story of Lazarus. Okay, so we pretty much know what happens, but we're going to look into it starting with verse 1. It says, Now a certain man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village where Mary and her sister Martha lived. Now it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him, meaning Jesus, saying, Lord, he, our brother and your friend, whom you love, is sick. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but on the contrary it is for the glory and honor of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved and was concerned about Martha and her sister and Lazarus and considered them dear friends. So even when he had heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed in the same place two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, teacher, the Jews were only recently going to stone you and you are thinking of going back there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of light in the day? Anyone who walks in the daytime does not stumble because he sees by the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because there is no light in him. He said this, and after that said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him. The disciples answered, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. However, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was referring to natural sleep. So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, who was called Didymus, the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go too, that we may die with him. So when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to see Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning the loss of their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him while Mary remained sitting in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give to you. Jesus told her, your brother will rise from the dead. Martha replied, I know that he will rise from the dead in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in, adheres to, trusts in, relies on me as Savior will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me as Savior will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed and continue to believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, the Son of God, he who was destined and promised to come into the world, and it is for you that the world has waited. 
after she had said this, she left and called her sister Mary, privately whispering to her, the teacher is here and he's asking for you. And when she heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. So when the Jews who were with her in the house comforting her saw how quickly Mary got up and left, they followed her, assuming that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came to the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews who had come with her also sobbing, he was deeply moved in spirit to the point of anger at the sorrow caused by death and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him as a close friend? But some of, some of them said, could not this man who opened the blind man's eyes have kept this man from dying? Now I'm going to pause here. Don't you just love how people always have something to say? Okay, instead of them just being positive, they're already nitpicking and have something negative to say. I thought that was interesting. Okay, so picking up at verse 38. So Jesus again, deeply moved into, within to the point of anger, approached the tomb. It was a cave and a boulder was lying against it to cover the entrance. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an offensive odor for he's been dead for four days. It is hopeless. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe in me, you will see the glory of God, the expression of his excellence? So they took away the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes toward heaven and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me and listen to me, but I have said this because of the people standing around so that they may believe that you have sent me and that you have made me your representative. When he had said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Out came the man who had been dead, his hands and feet tightly wrapped in burial clothes, linen strips, and with a burial cloth wrapped around his face. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and release him. Now, as we've learned, because, you know, Minister Scott's made it very clear, the reason why Jesus specifically called out Lazarus is because if he did not do that, then all the dead would have come. So that wasn't the point here. It was just Lazarus. So that's specifically why he mentioned his name. Now, turn with me to Luke's Gospel, and we're going to look at the 18th chapter, verses 31 through 33. Luke 18 verses 31 to 33. Are you there? Okay, great. So, sharing it with you out of the Amplified, it says, Then taking the twelve disciples aside, he said to them, Listen carefully. We are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that have been written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled and completed. He will be betrayed and handed over to the Gentiles, Roman authorities, and will be mocked and ridiculed and insulted and abused and spit on. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise from the dead. 
dead. Now that last verse, if you look at it in the easy to read, says they will beat him with whips and then kill him. But on the third day after his death, he will rise to life again. Um, when you get a chance, look at it in the message translation because I actually really, really like that one too. So since you're in Luke, just turn to the 24th chapter. We're going to look at Luke 24, verses 37 through 47. And all of this is for a reason, so I'm not just having you turn to these scriptures for nothing. It's setting you up for what we're going to talk about. So Luke 24, verses 37 to 47, I think I'm going to just read it to you out of the message. Jot down in your notes to check it out in the Amplified because that's a wonderful version, but I'm just going to share it tonight out of the message. And it says, starting with, well, with the message, as you know, their chapters are a little different. So in the message is actually starting with verse 36, so you'd have to back up one. But it says, while they were saying all this, Jesus appeared to them and said, peace be with you. They thought they were seeing a ghost and were scared half to death. He continued with them, don't be upset and don't let all these doubting questions take over. Look at my hands, look at my feet, it's really me, touch me. Now obviously this was after the crucifixion in case you hadn't figured that out, okay, I'm sure you did. Touch me, look me over from head to toe. A ghost doesn't have muscle and bone like this. As he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. They still couldn't believe what they were seeing. It was too much. It seemed too good to be true. He asked, do you have any food here? They gave him a piece of leftover fish they had cooked. He took it and ate it right before their eyes. Then he said, everything I told you while I was with you comes to this. All the things written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms have to be fulfilled. He went on to open their understanding of the word of God, showing them how to read their Bibles in this way. He said, you can see now how it is written that the Messiah suffers, rises from the dead on the third day, and then a total life change through the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed in his name to all nations, starting from here, from Jerusalem. You're the first to hear and see it. You're the witnesses. What comes next is very important. I am sending what my father has promised to you. So stay here in the city until he arrives, until, you are, until you're equipped with power from on high. So we know he's talking about what? The Holy Spirit, okay? So now, let's look at 1 Corinthians. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and I'm going to share verses 1 through 9 out of the message. 1 Corinthians 15 chapters 1 through 9 and it says, friends, let me go over the message with you one final time. This message that I proclaimed and that you made your own. This message on which you took your stand and by which your life has been saved. I'm assuming now that your belief was the real thing and not a passing fancy. That you're in this for good and holding fast. The first thing I did 
was placed before you what was placed so emphatically before me, that the Messiah died for our sins, exactly as scripture tells it, that he was buried, that he was raised from death on the third day, again, exactly as scripture says, that he presented himself alive to Peter, then to his closest followers, and later to more than 500 of his followers, all at the same time, most of them still around, although a few have since died. That he then spent time with James and the rest of those he commissioned to represent him, and that he finally presented himself alive to me. It was fitting that I bring up the rear. I don't deserve to be included in that inner circle, as you well know, having spent all those early years trying my best to stamp God's church right out of existence. Now, since you're already in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, just drop down to the 12th verse. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 26. And I think since I'm already in the message, I'll stay in the message. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Okay. I don't know. I'm betwixt and between. All right, I'll stay there. Okay. <laughs> Uh, starting with verse 12. Now let me ask you something profound yet troubling. If you became believers because you trusted the proclamation that Christ is alive, risen from the dead, how can you let people say that there is no such thing as a resurrection? If there's no resurrection, there's no living Christ. And face it, if there's no resurrection for Christ, everything we've told you is smoke and mirrors. And everything you've staked your life on is smoke and mirrors. Not only that, but we would be guilty of telling a string of barefaced lies about God. All these affidavits we've passed on to you verifying that God raised up Christ, sheer fabrications if there's no resurrection. If corpse can't be raised, then Christ wasn't because he was indeed dead. And if Christ weren't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark as lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and resurrection because they're already in their graves. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, <laughs> we're a pretty sorry lot. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up, the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. This is a nice symmetry in this. Death initially came by a man, and resurrection from death came by a man. Everybody dies in Adam, everybody comes alive in Christ. But we have to wait our turn. Christ is first, then those with him at his coming, the grand consummation when after crushing the opposition, he hands over his kingdom to God the Father. He won't let up until the last enemy is down and the very last enemy is death. As the psalmist said, he laid them low, one and all, he walked 
all over them. When scripture says that he walked all over them, it's obvious that he couldn't at the same time be walked on. When everything and everyone is finally under God's rule, the son will step down, taking his place with everyone else, showing that God's rule is absolutely comprehensive, a perfect ending. That's really nice when you think about it. Now lastly, before we get into the video, I want you to look, you're still in that same chapter, just drop down and we're going to look at verses 51 through 58. 51 through 58. And since I'm in the message, I'll stay there. And it says, but let me tell you something wonderful, a mystery I'll probably never fully understand. We're not all going to die, but we are all going to be changed. You hear a blast to end all blasts from a trumpet and in the time that you look up and blink your eyes, it's over. On signal from that trumpet from heaven, the dead will be up and out of their graves beyond the reach of death, never to die again. At the same moment and in the same way, we'll all be changed. In the resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. Everything perishable taken off the shelves and replaced by the imperishable. This mortal replaced by the immortal. Then the saying will come true, death swallowed by triumphant life. Who got the last word? Oh, death. <laughs> Oh, death, who's afraid of you now? It was sin that made death so frightening and a law called guilt that gave sin its leverage, its destructive power. But now, in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, death, are gone. The gift of our master, Jesus Christ. Thank God. With all this going for us, my dear, dear friends, stand your ground and don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. Now, in a minute, we're gonna, re we're gonna look at a little 15 minute video. In the video and in the videos moving forward, you're gonna hear terms, a term called upper story and lower story. Okay, the best way that I can really explain it is upper story, I would like to say, is analogous to the spirit realm. Okay, where we already know it's God the Father, he's sitting on the throne, Jesus is there, the Holy Spirit is moving throughout the earth on our behalf to accomplish things as, you know, God has deemed him to do. But then there is the lower story, that's our story, where we're here going to work every day, trying to pay our bills, trying to do all the things that we do. And it's also where sometimes we can get very distracted instead of us really spending more time into what he wants us to do, we're so caught up trying to make things, you know, work. And I mean, I'm not judging you. I have the same issue, okay? We all have to work at that because we've got all of these things pulling at us, you know? When the mortgage or the rent's due on the first, they don't really want to hear anything about you with spending time with God. They want that money, okay? So we have to figure out a way in which to get that done. So, I mean, I, I totally get it, but that's really the lower story. So when you hear that, I just want you to understand that. Now, Max Lucado is going to be the person who does, who's going to present this. But all of us are different in the sense that 
The way he shares the story, I think, is very powerful. And especially at the end when he talks about Winston Churchill, I really love it. But I'm not going to give that away. You'll see it. But what I want you to do is I want you to take this perspective. I want you to go back and think about times when you really sat with a grandparent, a parent, a mentor, a friend, someone that you gleaned information from. Because again, we're always so caught up doing things that we kind of take that time for granted. We just kind of like, okay, that happened yesterday and I'm moving on to today. I want you to think about that because I'm sure if you really take time to do that, you'll remember something that maybe one of those people shared with you and imparted into your life that made a total complete difference. We need to know that because even when you think about that, that's part of your history. That's part of your testimony. And you need to remember those things. It's very, very important. I mean, why do you think God gave us brains that are more complex than any computer that's not even built yet, okay? Where you can go back to when you were three years old and maybe you were at your grandma's house and you remember her making you sugar cookies and you remember the smell of the sugar cookies and when she gave you a hug goodbye, you remember the fragrance she wore. How can you do that unless he wanted us to do that, okay? That's something we should do. It, you know, so I think that's a positive thing. So I want you to think about that. And also, just kind of, and, and you're going to do that as we do this series, think about some of the people in your lives who are older than you. Just like I will always remember this time I've spent with my 93-year-old mother-in-law. There are so many things that I have learned just from spending time with her. It's really interesting because I went there to really, you know, kind of like minister to her and, and I got such a wealth of just hearing things from her. And I want us to do more of that because here is the thing. In general, we don't really think of an exit strategy. We don't really talk about it. And I don't think that's a bad thing, but most of the time when you think of exit strategy, people just think of death. They think of the negativity that goes with it. And I think as believers, we got to grow up and get a little bit more mature than that because there isn't, it's not bad for us. It's not negative. But we need, you know, I, I bet you if we were to do a poll of all of the Christians in our country, and we ask them, how many of you have prepared your exit strategy? Okay, how many of you have all of your ducks in a row where you have a living trust or you have a will or you have prepared things so that when you transition, you know, your loved ones are not trying to figure out what to do and they've got to go get a GoFundMe to be able to bury you? I mean, really. And I say this because it's something that needs to be discussed. And Jesus showed us his exit strategy, which means it's important to have one. It's not negative. It's not bad. It's not sad. But we need to talk about different aspects of it. So that's why we're doing this, okay? So anyway, we're getting ready to look at the video. And what you're going to have to do is everybody's going to have to kind of turn over this way and look at the TV. It's only 15 minutes, so it's not going to be any hard thing, but I want you to listen to our brother Max. Rawls, Texas was a weathered tumbleweed of a town in 1965. 
The city center consisted of a two-story courthouse framed by a weedy lawn and brick roads. One drugstore had gone out of business and the second was not far behind. The closest resemblance of a traffic jam occurred every morning when farmers left the diner parking lot after their sunrise coffee. It was as if someone had pressed the pause button and forgotten to release it, which was just fine with my grandparents, God bless them. Charles and Macy McDermott looked just like the farm couple in Grant Wood's painting, only not nearly as energetic. Grandpa, lanky and long-faced, she, shorter and dark-eyed, neither one smiled much. They shuffled about in a two-bedroom frame house, chewing Brown's mule tobacco, watching soap operas, and reading Zane Grey novels. It was my mom's idea for me to spend a week with them, let 10-year-old Max get to know his grandparents in mom's hometown. So she gave me a chocolate bar and a kiss, loaded me on a Greyhound bus, and waved goodbye. The trip peaked with the candy bar. After one day, I knew this was going to be the longest week of my life. My grandparents had no bicycles, baseballs, or basketball hoops. They knew no other 10-year-olds. They lived too far out in the country for me to find any. Dullsville. But then, during lunch one day, I asked my grandmother about the photo that hung over her bed, the sepia-toned picture that was professionally taken and handsomely set in an oval-shaped walnut frame. Who was this mystery man who occupied prime real estate above my grandmother's bed? Well, that's Levi Thornton, Grandma told me. Your grandfather. I'd heard of this man, how he had brought my mom to the farm country, how he died young. But where had he come from? How had he died? I didn't know. So Grandma set out to tell me. Within a couple of sentences, I was lost in the story, bouncing in the cab of the 1929 Chevy pickup with Grandpa Levi, Grandma, and an eight-year-old version of my mom. I was happy to listen and Grandma was thrilled to talk. For the better part of the day, we shinnied up the family tree and explored branches I had never known existed. As we did, my black and white week exploded into a Monet of colors. Why do you suppose, now 40 years removed, that I still remember the day in such detail? I still see the kitchen in which we sat, its straight back chairs and Formica top table. I see Grandma spilling photos out of a box and details out of her heart as if neither had been taken off the shelf in quite some time. I recall an emotion similar to the one you likely felt when you learned about your great-grandfather's migration from Norway or a distant relation being one of the Charter Royal Canadian Mounties. Perhaps you've traced your ancestry through the Apaches' hunting grounds or African slave ships or Polynesian sailors. We love to know where we came from. And we need to know where we came from. You see, knowing connects us and links us and bonds us to something greater than we are. Knowing reminds us that we aren't floating on isolated ponds, but on a grand river. That's why God wants you to know His story. Framed photos hang in His house. 
and lively talks await you at his table. Stories about Bethlehem beginnings and enemy warfare in the wilderness and fishermen friends in Galilee, the stumbles of Peter and the stubbornness of Paul, all a part of the story, but only subplots to the central message. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the headline of the story. God saves his people. The Bible says so. Scripture assures us of heaven because Jesus was raised from the dead. We've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. Jesus says so. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The angel says so. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. The witnesses say so. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve apostles. After that, Jesus was seen by more than 500 of the believers at the same time. Even the rolled away stone testifies to Christ's rising from the dead. No barrier will keep us locked inside the grave. Christ was the first example that we will all follow. We have a start date and an end date, known only by God before we were born. The clock began ticking the moment we were conceived in the womb. But as God's story of heaven reveals, we also have an exit strategy. Do you remember the resurrection announcement? He is not here. He has risen from the dead as he said he would. It was Sunday morning after the Friday execution. Jesus' final breath had sucked the air out of the universe. As his body seemed to be a moldering in the grave, no one was placing bets on a resurrection. His enemies were satisfied with their work. The spear to his side guaranteed his demise. His tongue was silenced. His last deed was done. They raised a toast to a dead Jesus. Their only concern was those pesky disciples. The religious leaders made this request of Pilate. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. <laughs> No concern was necessary. The disciples were at meltdown. When Jesus was arrested, all the disciples forsook him and fled. Peter followed from a distance, but caved in and cursed Christ. John watched Jesus die, but we have no record that John gave any thought to ever seeing him again. The other followers didn't even linger. They cowered in Jerusalem's cupboards and corners for fear of the cross that bore their names. No one dreamed of a Sunday morning miracle. Peter didn't ask John, What will you say when you see Jesus? Mary didn't ponder, How will he appear? They didn't encourage each other with quotes of his promised return. They could have. 
At least four times Jesus had said words like these, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill Him. And after He is killed, He will rise on the third day. You'd think someone would mention this prophecy and do the math. Hmm. He died yesterday. Today's the second day. He promised to rise on the third day. Tomorrow is the third day. Friends, I think we better wake up early tomorrow. But Saturday saw no such plans. On Saturday, the enemy had won. Courage was gone. And hope caught the last train to the coast. They planned to embalm Jesus, not talk to Him. Here's what the Scripture says. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Easter parade? Victory march? Hardly. More like a funeral procession. It may have been Sunday morning, but their world was stuck on Saturday. It was left to the angel to lead them into Sunday. Here's what happened. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. He has risen. Three words in English, just one word in Greek, eagerthē. So much rests on the validity of this one word. If it is false, then the whole of Christianity collapses like a poorly told joke. Yet, if it is true, then God's story has turned your final chapter into a preface. If the angel was correct, then you can believe this. Jesus descended into the coldest cell of death's prison and allowed the warden to lock the door and smelt the keys in a furnace. And just when the demons began to dance and prance, Jesus pressed pierced hands against the inner wall of the cavern. And from deep within, he shook the cemetery. The ground rumbled and the tombstones tumbled, and out he marched, the cadaver-turned-king with the mask of death in one hand and the keys of heaven in the other. Eager thing, he has risen. Not risen from sleep, not risen from confusion, not risen from stupor or slumber, not spiritually raised from the dead, but physically raised. The women and disciples didn't see a phantom or experience a sentiment. They saw Jesus, Jesus in the flesh. It is I myself, he assured them. The Emmaus-bound disciples thought Jesus was a fellow pilgrim. His feet touched the ground, his hands touched the bread. Mary mistook him for a gardener. Thomas studied his wounds. The disciples ate fish that he cooked. The resurrected Christ did physical things in a physical body. I'm not a ghost, he explained. Handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. The bodily resurrection means everything. You see, if Jesus lives on merely in spirit and deeds, he's but one of a 
thousand dead heroes. But if he lives on in flesh and bone, he is the king who pressed his heel against the head of death. And what he did with his own grave, he promises to do with yours. Empty it. Death is not the final chapter in your story. In death, you will step into the arms of the one who declared, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Winston Churchill believed this. The prime minister planned his own funeral. According to his instructions, two buglers were positioned high in the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral. At the conclusion of the service, the first one played taps, the signal of a day completed. Immediately thereafter, with the sounds of the first song still ringing in the air, the second bugler played Reveille, the song of a day begun. Appropriate song. You see, death is no pit, but a passageway, not a crisis, but a corner turn. Dominion of the grim reaper? No. Territory of the soul keeper, who will someday announce, your dead will live, your corpses will get to their feet. All you dead and buried, wake up and sing. Your dew is morning dew, catching the first rays of sun, and the earth bursting with life, giving birth to the dead. So play on, Bugler. Play on. I love that. <laughs> anyway, turn with me. I'm going to do this in 51 seconds. Turn with me to Psalm 139. This is a verse of scripture that I know you know, and it's one of my favorites. And I have quoted it over my granddaughter. Uh, the Living Bible says it this way. Psalm 139, verse 16. You saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. And the Message Bible says it really well. And it says, oh yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God. You're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book. You watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. All the days of my life are prepared before I even lived one day. I love that. So when you think about that, <laughs> it's absolutely amazing because we now know that, of course, there is an exit strategy our father already knows what it is. I would like to think that all of us would want to make that dash count. That's what I really like to think of every day that I live. Lord, make, let, help me make the dash count from the year I was born to the year I transitioned. Let that count. Let that speak for me. And it's something that 
that I think we have to do. I mean, Minister Cassandra talked about it on Sunday when she asked the question even, how many people have led anybody to Christ? Meaning she's young and she's realizing how important it is that we as representatives of the kingdom have a responsibility, not just to come to church and oh, praise the Lord and we're all happy. We've got something else to do. And how refreshing that is to see a young person get that. Not saying that all of us aren't young, we are, but I'm just saying she's a little bit younger, okay, than we are. But the point is, that's what all of this is about. It's, it's, we've got to delve a little bit deeper and talk about it a little bit more. And when we come back next week, absent the people on the cruise, we're going to actually be able to talk about it because we're, this is when we're really going to start talking and we're going to really start having a discussion. There are other scriptures and things we will go over, but the point is there are some really good questions that we're going to actually talk about and then we're going to move forward. Okay, does that sound good? Okay, well, I think so. Well, thank you for getting through the hard part, which is the foundation. And we've only got a lot of fun things coming after this. So with that said, every head bowed. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.